0: Block Talk Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey? Here we go. Drop that puck. Drop
1: that puck. Drop that Take a seat, because you've just been sent to the sin bin with your host. Recently returned from his forced deportation to Canada and that country's subsequent refusal to accept him, Paul Rogers.
2: All right, I want to welcome everyone to the Sin Bin this evening. This is Paul Rogers, and this is our fourth episode of the Seattle Sin Bin. And uh, we a little bit later, we're going to be joined by my co-host, Otto Rogers, who's no relation to me. And in the second half of the show tonight, we're going to talk to a couple of gentlemen who are associated with the University of, Was- the University of Washington Hockey Program, uh, who is making an effort to take that school to Division One hockey. It's kind of an exciting movement, and uh, we're going to talk about that on the last half of the show. But to open the show tonight... Um, We have a a gentleman on the line, and his name is Michael Gray, and he is, uh, Michael spent 15 years doing uh, sports talk radio in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and he spent some other time uh, doing the same thing in in Omaha, Nebraska, and most recently hosted a show at ESPN 710 here in Seattle, and um, Michael, how are you doing tonight?
3: Man, I am so glad to see if I can still make words. It's been weeks.
2: <laughs> well, I you know, I I I think I can speak for most hockey fans in Seattle. And I, I'm kind of a recent convert to hockey, but uh you are one of the few radio hosts in town that occasionally even wanted to talk about hockey. So, we kind of miss having you, having you on the air.
3: Well, man, I miss being on the air. It's uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks, and and having grown up in Detroit and, and grown up with the game, watching uh, even over open air antennas, watching CBC and Hockey Night in Canada out of Windsor, Ontario, back when I was just a little a little squirt. Um, you know, I've I've had the game in my blood my entire life, and uh, and can't get it here to Seattle fast enough. By the way, this city is going to eat that game up when it gets the opportunity.
2: Yeah, I agree. Now, before we actually get into the hockey talk. Um, I've got a little bit of a bone I want to pick with you. Um, I think a month or so ago, I was listening to your show on on ESPN, and you were talking about uh, Star Wars. And Mm -hmm. the the conversation, uh, you, you made the statement that you thought that the Ewoks were just as annoying as
3: Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, they're pretty do bad. You, do
2: you actually believe that they're pretty bad?
3: Yeah, it's. Um, it, I mean, they're teddy. They're just they're furry. They're teddy bears. That was they were like children's toys running about the forest, taking down Imperial walkers. I have a hard time believing with that. With zippers. Yeah, and, with yeah, zippers. yeah, with trees and rocks and things like that. Like that, the you know the Imperial uh, forces can build the Death Star and Star Destroyers that will blow up an entire planet, but they can't handle somebody with some logs. I, I have a I have trouble with that. <laughs>
2: Okay. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I would agree. I think most people would, would have trouble with the concepts that little teddy bears could defeat the Empire. Right. But but really, just just as irritating as Jar Jar Binks?
3: It was pretty bad. I mean, the way they, they borderline seduced Princess Leia, it was very uncomfortable there for a good portion of that movie. <laughs> and I watched the whole thing thinking, wow, if only Alderaan had had some logs and rocks, they'd have been fine instead of being vaporized from a galaxy away. So... Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that yeah, was right you know, about the time where Lucas started to jump the shark a bit.
2: Yeah, he he jumped it pretty bad in the prequels, but uh, and I was I was talking to actually my co-host um, Otto about I was going to ask you that question, and he said ask him if he's aware of this idea that there was some kind of Ewok holocaust when the Death Star blew up. <laughs> Had you ever heard of that concept <laughs> before?
3: No, I have not.
2: Like, like, there's no possible way that the the planet, the moon of Endor, could survive long term with that monstrosity blowing up so close to its atmosphere. Um, you know, I but, hadn't, con- I hadn't
3: considered that, but I guess it's possible.
2: Radiation and whatnot. Yeah, you, it, it is really possible to geek out on Star Wars to an extreme degree, is it not?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's. You can't watch those movies. You either hate them. Or you get sucked in and, and then you start having really irrational conversations about them as though it actually happened. Yeah, exactly.
2: All right. So you um you started to ask, to answer my first question and I was gonna ask you how long you've been a hockey
3: fan, but it sounds like it's been since you were a pup. Yeah, my my entire life. Uh and I'm you know, I mean this in the literal <clears> sense. Grew up playing on ponds, uh in and around Metro Detroit. I went to Lake Superior State, that's uh where I got my degree in college. Uh, they won the national championship my, my freshman year, used to go over across the river into Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, watch the OHL games with the Sioux Greyhounds, um, played a bunch, you know, uh, uh, just pick up hockey and intramural stuff through college and continued playing in, in club teams all the way through until just a, a few years ago. So, yeah, I've I've had hockey running through my veins my entire life.
2: Okay. All right, so I'm going to take a wild stab and say you're a Red Wing fan?
3: But yeah. Yeah, the, the funny thing is, growing up in Detroit, you didn't get a choice. You know, mm-hmm. there there are some places where if you don't have a team in your town, then then you make a choice. But I, you know, it was Lions, Pistons, Tigers, Red Wings, and maybe you could have a choice between the Spartans and the Wolverines as far as a college team goes. But my dad had made that choice for me too. So, um, yeah, nobody ever asked me who my favorite team was. They just bought me gear. You know, you get the you get shirts, you get hats, you get jerseys. Nobody ever asked you who your team was because obviously it was the one that was in town.
2: Right. All right, so growing up uh, from uh, childhood to now, uh, who is your favorite Red Wing of all time?
3: Man, that's a fantastic question, um, and I have a weird answer uh, because obviously with all of the history there, Sid Abel and Gordie Howe and all of those guys that you could point to that made up those legendary teams through Steve Eiserman, who is another one. I've had an opportunity to talk to Steve before. He's a fantastic dude but my favorite my favorite player i have his sweater hanging in my closet with actually vladimir konstantinov uh number 16 the defenseman from the russian five he was he was as good as anyone in hockey at the time and that defensive pairing of he and nick lidstrom and the numbers that they put up before that tragic accident after the uh the 97 stanley cup run it was amazing to watch that guy work. Um if you go back and catch the highlights in the Stanley Cup finals against Philadelphia, you can watch him absolutely erase Eric Lindros, uh, in his prime. Mm-hmm. Just took took him out. He vanished. He he was nowhere. And at the time he was just, you know, that Legion of Doom line and and I said doom for the folks here in Seattle. Um that's it was just amazing to see him and Renberg and Jean Leclerc out there. They were so massive by NHL standards at the time and he just erased them. He was fantastic. And I've always been uh, partial to defense, so. Okay.
2: And all right, so would you say that hockey would be your absolute favorite sport or
3: would It's kind of hockey okay. and football have always been kind of one and one A depending on the time of year. Um that is the wonderful uh-huh. thing about the NHL schedule is right about and especially as a kid growing up in Detroit, football gets uh, pretty uninteresting after about Halloween most years with the Lions are terrible. So you could you could switch your focus. About the time that the Lions really go in the tank, mid October, early November, you've got something else to get you through. And then of course after the playoffs, after the Super Bowl, that's really when you're ramping up. I mean, as you sit here in March as a hockey fan, I've I've had I've had some time on my hands since being uh, let go over there at 7:10, and I've watched a ton of hockey, a ton of hockey. I'll catch the game of the night anytime it's on the NHL Network or NBC Sports Network to try to keep up with the league and and see what's what. So I've had the opportunity to watch a lot more than I had maybe in years past.
2: Right. Okay. So it it sounds like you would now now understand that we host this uh, podcast at a, at a site called SonicsRising.com. So it's primarily an NBA site. Um, But I, I myself have, have have grown the last year or so, uh from I, I actually prefer hockey at this point in my life to basketball, although I, I still want the Sonics back. Um what what is it about hockey um that maybe you like better than the NBA?
3: Well I mean for one it's it's skating. I mean it's just the simple act of skating. It's something I grew up doing. Uh I can't jump at all. I I'm six foot three, I'm almost six foot four, and if I can touch the rim it's a good day. Uh it's you know it's embarrassing. <laughs> So you know it, the, the speed of the game, dictated by skating, is one thing, and and the action in a game live in person cannot be beat. It is by far and away my favorite spectator sport in person, uh, with baseball as a second. Um, that there is there's just there's nothing better than the action, especially in a heritage town with a crowd that gets it, that's focused. Um, You know, those years growing up and and going to see games at the Joe, uh, I've traveled a bunch. I've seen games in Buffalo. I've seen games in Philadelphia, Chicago, St. Louis, some good hockey towns um, through the years that I've had the opportunity to see games at. And there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it live.
2: Okay. Yeah, and I've kind of learned that as well in the last year. I, I kind of fell in love with the sport Uh, during last year's NHL uh, during the Stanley Cup playoffs, and it was just an amazing playoff run, especially in the finals. And so this year I've I've actually gone to see a few games uh, for the WHL. So I I went and seen a game in in Everett, and I actually live closer to the Tri-Cities, so I've seen uh, maybe three or four games for the Tri-City Americans. And it really is a different experience in person than it is on TV. The one thing, you have to learn where to sit because of the plexiglass. (laughs) <laughs> um, the, the distortion with the with the plexiglass, but uh, just the feel of the ice um, on your face is a neat experience. And um, I just really love it.
3: Yeah. And at every level I, I mentioned, I've seen OHL when I was in Grand Rapids doing radio, we had the Grand Rapids Griffins who first were a, a farm team for the Ottawa senators and now are affiliated with the Detroit Red Wings. Got a chance to see a lot of the current Red Wings roster coming up actually before I left Michigan a few years back um, and then go into a CCHA hockey college and getting a chance to see a lot of those teams play to see guys from Lake Superior state go on, uh, to the NHL, Michigan, Michigan state, Ohio state, Northern Michigan, some of those teams that, that end up being powerhouses in the college hockey world. There's just nothing like it. And, and there's an abundance of it here at a lot of levels. I have to, I, I honestly believe in my heart of hearts whenever the NHL finds a way here to Seattle. And, and I do believe it's inevitable. It's just a question of when, not if, um, this city's going to go crazy for it. This city is absolutely going to go crazy for the game when they've got a team to get behind and they realize what the NHL product looks like right before their eyes.
2: Right. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about what your impressions were of the Seattle of Seattle's NHL market, but it sounds like, uh, you're all over it.
3: Well, I think it's, I think it's a good market period. Um, you know, it's strange. It's, you know, I come from a four team town And you look around at at Seattle and you see the the two big franchises with the Seahawks and the Mariners, and then, of course, the Sounders, who very possibly had the most successful franchise introduction in the history of professional sports. 40,000 strong at CenturyLink Field for Major League Soccer. And and real soccer fans, hardcore soccer fans, will tell you that that's essentially minor league soccer worldwide – um, you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's so immensely popular here. The city is so in love with that team. I'll tell anybody that'll listen that it's one of the most unique experiences in sports is going and watching Seattle celebrate the beautiful game. Now, I believe you know the the Sonics thing is a foregone conclusion. I don't need to tell anybody how this city feels about the Sonics and what it would mean to have the green and gold back in town. I don't have to tell anybody that. Everybody knows. Uh, it was something that happened uh, my first year here in Seattle. I had a friend from out-of-state fly-in for a Seahawks game, and we're going through one of the team shops near the arena. He said, wow, they're still selling Sonics gear. Didn't they leave like six years ago? Said, yeah, 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 shut up. Don't talk to anybody about it. They're pretty sensitive. Um the, you you know how this team how this town rather adopts their teams you know the passion that these people have and and I I don't believe that it's limited to just the Sonics I don't believe it's just limited to the Seahawks or just to baseball fans you give Seattle right. sports fans an opportunity to back a team and they're going to come out in droves and you know in terms of of hockey you need 20,000 you don't need 40,000 you don't need 60,000, like you do in an open-air arena for a, for a soccer match or a football game. You need 20,000 people to pack a hockey barn, and you could find that here. I'm absolutely confident that you could find that here and that there's enough diversity in, in the market and enough people, for all the love, every time I leave the house I'm reminded of how many people live here uh, once I get to the interstate, there are enough people to support multiple franchises without, without question right now so you mentioned the sounders um
2: you know a lot of people that maybe don't follow hockey or maybe don't follow soccer might say that hockey would be just kind of soccer on ice and there are some similarities but um what would you say about the the difference between the fan bases are are the fan bases in in soccer uh similar to the fan bases you're going to find
3: in hockey well, I think there's some crossover from the Euro markets. Uh, certainly if you know you, you're talking about uh some of the folks that and we know, you know, the population here is incredibly diverse and you have a a good chunk of of people from from Europe, from Russia, from those parts of the world. So you're going to have some of that crossover, but you know, moreover, it's just when you're looking at a city in a, in a metro area of 3.5 million people, You've just got people with varying interests and you only need 20,000 of them, you know, to come in and give it a shot aside from the folks that are just Seattle sports fans. And there are those guys out there that just they'll support whatever team you put in front of them. They're going to go out there and they're going to do that. I, I say that as a Detroiter and I grew up watching the Pistons and watching the Tigers and watching the Red Wings, watching the Lions. And it wasn't necessarily because, you know, not every sport was my favorite, but those, that's my town. Those are my teams And so you're going to have people, especially in the beginning, they're going to want to come out and be a part of that for Seattle's sake, as much as as hockey's sake. And then, you know, like you've mentioned already a couple of times, being late to the the game, um, you got a chance to build – a youth movement within your fan base, and you're going to have some people that are putting eyes on the product for the very first time, and they're going to fall in love with it. It's not going to happen to everybody, obviously. There are some people that won't care for it, but you're going to have thousands of people that are going to watch this thing and have a rooting interest because that's their team out there on the ice, and and they're going to fall in love with the game.
2: Yeah. Now, speaking of the, the youth movement, um, in our first episode, we had ESPN's Craig Custance um, on. It was – pretty amazing to be able to have him as our first guest. He made the point and I think he actually made the point on your show as well that uh for NHL to succeed long term in Seattle it's going to have to start building um at the grassroots level and we in Seattle we know that we have um the Seattle uh Thunderbirds and the Everett Silver Tips for uh, Silver Tips for, the, for the WHL. And we're going to be talking to the Washington Huskies guys at the end of the show. So we've got some things uh, in the hopper as far as grassroots. But um, from someone from Michigan who lived, breathed, and ate hockey your entire life, what other kinds of grassroots pieces are we missing for hockey? Well,
3: I don't know that they're missing. I just don't think that they've been exploited yet. Um, You know, the the big one in there would be, you know, junior hockey and youth hockey. And there's huge – populations for that there are there are huge youth hockey leagues in this area all throughout the pacific northwest the other thing that you've got going that is very similar to you know my situation growing up is a proximity to canada i mean it's just north of here that's you know that's the other wonderful thing potentially for the nhl coming to seattle is a true regional rival with the vancouver canucks and that's something that the nhl is very desirous of it's something the vancouver canucks are very desirous of is having that regional rival right there look no further than what the sounders have with the portland timbers and mls it means a lot to have that it it, unless you're the nfl and you can just sell your product with anybody playing anybody and everybody lines up around the corner to have it and don't look now only the nfl has that that is a huge, huge added bonus. That's a huge added element to the the introduction of hockey in Seattle is that proximity to Canada where it is religion and the fact that you have a, a team that you will be able to hate with San Francisco 49er-like intensity almost right off the drop. You're going to be able to get into the games when Vancouver is in town and vice versa in a way that you can't when you don't have that regional rival. I, you know, I say that as yeah. a guy that's I I have I've laughed more times than I can tell you this season watching the Toronto Maple Leafs fall apart. It never gets old. I can I can watch them flail and flounder for twenty more seasons in a row, and I promise you I will never enjoy one any less than the others because it's always good news when Toronto struggles. Well, and that's the kind of yeah, thing you and would so have. Yeah, so
2: I guess that would be like the Forty ers for Seattle fans. I I kind of chuckled today. I I think I heard that the the Forty Niners. Leading tackler is retiring after only one or two years. Um, yeah, Chris Borland but, uh,
3: decided to punch his ticket after one year. His, his rookie season. Yeah, they've they've had a bad couple of weeks. But well, um, they, they did it to themselves. I mean, bad management, letting go of the right people and promoting the wrong people. Uh, that is a that is a recipe for disaster in most businesses. So, um, you know, they reap what they sow in that regard.
2: Okay, so uh, before I let you go, Michael. Um, we've had um, quite a bit of news come out in the last, uh, oh, two or three weeks now, and we've had news reports that there are arena options in Bellevue and Tequila, um, and we've had um, Mayor, uh, Mayor Murray, almost said Mayor McGinn, uh, he probably wouldn't have liked that, but Mayor Murray has come out and kind of taken ownership um, of the MOU and made it very clear. And Don Dow Constantine also said the same thing. That he is willing to entertain uh, an NHL first modification uh, to the MOU. What What's your optimism level uh, with all this news that's coming out the last couple of weeks?
3: Well, there are a couple of things. One, with regards to the mayor, the last thing he wants to do, especially with election cycles coming through the city council, is be the mayor that drove the arena out of town. Um, The minute those other options came up and became viable, I think you, you expected him to step forward and say something, even if only to save face, even if only to look like he's making an effort, because politically it would be disastrous for him to make a move or make a statement that suddenly gives birth to an arena in Bellevue. Um, I'm not at all opposed to a suburban arena. Uh, There are a lot of markets smaller than Seattle that make them work. Bellevue is a trip across the bridge. It's not as though it's 50 miles out of town like you find in some places like Santa Clara with where the 49ers now play. The Dallas Cowboys are in Arlington. They're not in Dallas. The Atlanta Braves are moving out of downtown Atlanta by some distance. Um, So I I don't have a real opposition to a suburban solution to the arena problem and, and getting one built. I think the competition is good. I think you invite more people with more money and more ideas to the table, and eventually somebody gets something done. Um, So anything to grease the skids, especially with this famous Seattle process and how they love to bog everything down in bureaucracy, you know, anything that motivates people to make a move like a couple billion dollars worth of arena infrastructure, um, you know, that's good news for Seattle hockey fans and Seattle Sonics fans. Because without that arena getting built, the Sonics are never coming back either. They've got to build a building. Yes.
2: Well, Michael Gray, I want to thank you for coming on. And uh, um, I, I'm sure that uh, uh, you're, you're going to find something, a new landing spot in the near future. I hope it's local. Man, I hope so. Uh, because I like having i – I'm driving my wife crazy, race,
3: man. You know? She doesn't need me in the house this much. Yeah.
2: All right. <laughs> but um, you are welcome to come back on this show anytime you want. And uh, I, I hope you enjoyed this. And uh, we'll talk to you later, okay?
3: Outstanding, man. Thanks for the invite. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Michael. Take care.
2: All right. All right. That was uh, local sports radio personality, Michael Gray, most recently at ESPN 710 in Seattle. Um, it was great to hear his voice on the radio again. And we're going to take a short break. And um, we we actually have a new segment uh, to give you on the show tonight. And we have a sister station, or actually a sister program, from the weirdest location you could think of, and it is at National Public Radio. And believe it or not, they do have um, a a program about hockey at National Public Radio. And they were gracious enough to allow us to play you a clip. And we will be back in just a minute.
0: Good afternoon. I'm Tiffany Francisca ciali Noble.
1: And I'm David Luis Gonzalez Chakrabarti. Thanks for joining us on NPR's Hockey Talk. Our first story Pittsburgh Penguins goalie, Marc Andre Fleury, made 31 saves for his league leading ninth shutout of the NHL season as they topped the Los Angeles Kings. 1-0.
0: You know, David, it wasn't pretty, but the Penguins are happy to grind out those tough road wins down the stretch.
1: Trenchant insight indeed, Tiffany. With only five weeks to go in the season, the victory moves Pittsburgh into a tie with the Rangers for second place in the Metropolitan Division.
0: The Penguins still trail the Islanders by three points in the standings. In our next story, the Phoenix Coyotes may be on the move again. And the social justice implications may be troubling. Join us after the break. This is Hockey Talk on National Public Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey? Here we go.
1: Take a seat, because you've just been sent to the sin bin with your host, recently returned from his forced deportation to Canada and that country's subsequent refusal to accept him, Paul Rogers! Drop that
2: Welcome everyone back to the sin bin and otto that that interview with michael gray um was awesome did did that not make you want to just strap on some skates and play hockey?
4: yeah you know what michael he 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 just has so much passion for the game and all the stories about him growing up and you know throw you know skating around the ice it just it just made me it just it just got me all fired up. I wish I could go out there right now at my old age
2: yeah yeah um but he he's just so smooth on the radio too i i i honestly don't know what uh that station was thinking um uh, but i i i miss having him as an alternative to listen to um i i would often listen to his podcast later in the day because you, you know you can always listen live but i i just think he's professional i think he's good and i think uh seattle still needs his voice um in this market
4: i you know what i Seattle lost a great hockey guy, and not just a great hockey guy but a great just a great sports talk show host so k j r you know the fan come on guys, make a call yeah,
2: yeah. Definitely. Get him on board. definitely yeah, all right, so um, what did you think of what he had to say about um the grassroots movement in Seattle?
4: You know what he he mentioned that we have all the, all the things in place ready to go. You know we have that regional rival that can really like pump up our fans and pump up community, and we have a lot of good um, we have a lot of good like youth programs. I know there's like the Snow King and Seattle Juniors and Tacoma Rockets things like that. I think so. He, you know we have I think we have everything in place. I think what we need is just more ice time. We need more ice rinks and more ice rinks. I think yeah, more ice rinks cuz you know, right now it's, it's kind of expensive to get out on the ice There's not a lot of ice rinks um in Puget Sound. You know, if we build more ice rinks, they'll have and, and kind of reduce the cost of getting out on the ice. I think that'll help grow the game with the, with the youth in our communities. And I think I think bringing the NHL to Seattle will help that. Um I know in San Jose, I know that they the, the NHL, the Sharks, they kind of help subsidize some of the local youth programs. Uh, you know, helping out with um, with, with the cost of uh, of renting on the ice and things like that. So, if we can make it cheaper for for the family to to start playing with uh, you know getting on the ice and skating around with their kids and things like that, I think that will just help the the game grow even faster.
2: Right. Um. Do you think Seattle could ever get to a place? I, I know that if, like I've talked to Chris Myros from Sonic Rise, Sonic's Rising, and you know he's from Minnesota and still is in Minnesota, and um, it's just like uh, hockey is like drinking water and breathing air. I mean, you have it um, not just youth hockey programs, but you have it in yeah. uh, where you have it in the schools. You might have you'll have junior high and high school hockey teams. Do you think Seattle could ever right. get to that point?
4: I, I think it could. I don't. I don't think it's a, like a natural market because we're not. We're not frozen year round. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think we can get to the point where, you know, it's it where we're close. You know, where you know high schools are playing it. We'll have a lot of ice rinks. You know, we're close. I mean, we have ice sports. You know, within you know within an hour and a half drive from the greater Seattle area in, in the mountains. Um, so I think I think we have a love for winter sports. And I think we can get to that level where you you know it, it will start really start building up in the high schools. But before we can get to that point of where it builds up in the high schools, we need to have you know we we need to grow our youth. You know the the ten, the twelve, the fourteen year old players. We need to grow grow that area, and then once we do that, then we can probably grow grow and in, and in, for high school sports. Right. But I have to I have to say, I have to say, Paul. I loved his favorite uh, Detroit Red Wings player, Vladimir Konstantinov. I mean, this guy would have been an NHL Hall of Famer if his career wasn't cut short um, by his by the injuries from the the limousine wreck. Uh, but that guy was an awesome player to see. And if, if you want to know more about the story about the Russian Five and, and the impact they had on you know on hockey and and on Detroit as well there's a great thirty f E for thirty four thirty special called Of Miracles of Miracles and Men on YouTube that you can you can watch that program. And basically it speaks to um the, the point of view of, of of hockey, not from Team USA but from the Russian team and kind of some of the things that those players had to do to try to get back to the States to uh to uh play in the NHL. So that's a great documentary if you are really uh, Want to uh, see a great hockey documentary, and more specifically about about the Russian Five in Detroit.
2: Right. Um, <clears throat> so Otto, we've had some more news crop up this week, and and um, this this regards the arena. And uh, it turns out that uh, the Obama administration is has a, is trying to get a budget passed later this year that could possibly um, make it to where cities can no longer use tax-exempt tax exempt bonds to build arenas with. And um, the, the ramifications of that are, are obvious if it happens. I mean, it could potentially um, hurt the Milwaukee project, and more importantly for us, it could potentially hurt the Soto project. What are your impressions of that?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I saw that, and I know that's, you know, it was it, – so essentially – we, it's it's the it's the interest rate of of the the bonding capacity of the interest rate of the municipality compared to what the bonding rate would be for just like a private uh, a private private business, correct?
2: Yeah, you because they're taxes exempt, exempt, you can you can um, you can. Uh, use them at lower interest rates which is the attraction right. for people like Chris Hansen to want to use them and right uh, but yeah and uh, I, <clears throat> it seems like I don't, uh, it seems like it's um it's I don't want to get worried about it because there, I mean yeah. it's a budget for crying out loud how many times have we gone to gone without even having a budget and just right. uh, govern the country on continuing resolutions, and of course, it's a politically charged atmosphere, and it may never happen. Right. But it is something right. to watch. It is something to watch, it and is, then, you know, the yeah. other question becomes: Could it be grandfathered? Could, could right, ours be right. grandfathered?
4: Yeah, I don't think I don't. You know, it's something that's out there that we, you know, that we need to watch. I, I'm not really sure if it's going to make it all the way through. If that makes sense, you know it still has to go through committee, and it still ha- have to pass uh, both both the House and the Senate. So I I'm not going to worry until it gets to that point. And then if it does, then you know we're going to be in a whole new world where you know, right. you know Hanson has an option of of you know bypassing the council. He doesn't even need the council and just pay you know you know pay for it 100% privately. You know privately funded. They wouldn't even need the right. council uh, for the finances. Right. So, you know, those things, you know, I'm not worried. I'm only worried about things that we can kind of control and and we can kind of focus on now because, you know, we don't even know that that's going to even pass, pass the, the Congress. So,
2: Right. Well, we're up against a break. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Chris Stevenson, from Who is the former club manager of the University of Washington hockey team And we're going to talk about the effort to take that school to Division I Sound good, Otto? That sounds great Can't wait Let's let's take a short break We've got another segment from NPR Hockey Talk
0: Good morning, I'm Tiffany Trewiki Goldberg
1: And I'm David Gustafson Chang And this is Hockey Talk on National Public Radio Our top story, playoffs are just around the corner with only six weeks to go in the NHL regular season. The Nashville Predators have hit a rough patch, losing six consecutive games, but still remain in a strong position for the stretch run. Meanwhile, early this season, the goaltending of Michael Hutchinson was one of the highlights for the Winnipeg Jets, but ever since the All-Star break, the rookie netminder has fallen apart as the Minnesota Wild. And the Los Angeles Kings began to charge hard for the wildcard spots.
0: In the 13 games Hutchinson has played since the All-Star break, he's posted an SP below 900 in seven games, while posting a mark above 920 just seven times. Hmm. That's just not going to get it done, David.
5: How
1: very apropos. Sources indicate the coaching staff is employing new methods to get Hutchinson's mind back into the game including alternative therapies for confidence-building. For example, did you know that in Sanskrit, the root of the verb, to be, is the same as to grow, or to make grow?
0: I did not know that. How very interesting.
1: Jets fans all over Canada are hoping it succeeds. Speaking of Canada, today's musical interludes are field recordings by indigenous lesbian repurposed percussion and penny whistle duo Nefertiti's Took from Nunavut Province.
0: about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go.
2: The yearbook, Jim. Uh... All right. Welcome back to the Send In. This is the final segment of the show. And uh, we are joined now by former club manager of the Washington Huskies hockey team, Chris Stevenson. And I believe we're also joined by the current manager, Abby. And forgive me, I'm not sure how to pronounce your last name. How do you pronounce your last name, Abby? Kozira. Kozira, okay. So so welcome Chris and welcome Abby.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Um you. It's it's great. It So Chris, how are you doing?
5: I'm doing well. I there's even uh one more guest too, is uh uh ex head coach David Kell, who built the program over the last ten years, has uh stepped into my office and joined as well. So uh there'll be three of us who oh. can contribute to this. Okay, so
2: so David is on speaker there. Okay, That's correct. so um, David, uh, if you could tell me—I mean, I think if you did a poll of people in Seattle, I'm not sure what percentage of people would even know that there was Husky Hockey. Uh, can you tell me? Can you tell us a little bit about the history of, of Washington Husky Hockey?
6: You know, since, since I was involved, the program really has been around since the '60s. It's grown bigger and bigger since the inception of the ACHA. Um, I took over in. 2004, and ever since that time, our crowds have continued to grow and grow and grow. And actually, Abs has been a, done a fantastic job to uh, continually build our fan base. So it's it's every year. There's been we've had we've seen return visitors and fans come back to our game, So it's been fantastic.
2: And David, when did you coach the team?
6: I coached them 2004 until think um, 2013 was my last year, and I was had an accident before the prior season that ended my coaching. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
2: Um, so doing some research on this, I, I see that you guys are not part of Division One and CAA. You're part of what's called the PAC-8, the PAC-8 conference. And other schools in this conference include Arizona State uh Utah, USC, Oregon, UCLA, California, and Washington State. Um okay. and I see that last year Utah won the championship and the Huskies uh, finished the regular season with a five and eleven record. Um yeah. what over the last several years, um how have the Huskies been in comparison to the other teams in that conference?
5: Yeah, that, that's a great question. We've um uh this year was a was a little bit of a um a reset year from um uh from the prior years. Uh we we did win uh two Pac Eight championships in the last four years and actually took the Huskies first trip ever to the to the regional championships in I wanna say two thousand twelve. Um and uh right now we're uh we're refreshing through a little bit of a freshman and and sophomore class. It's gonna take a year or two but should be real competitive again uh, next year or the year after.
2: Okay. Um, so so Chris, there there's a movement I I guess Arizona State um, it, it's been recently announced that they're actually making this move uh to to the jump to NCAA Division 1. Um right. can you tell me a little what what's the history of the the movement at Washington to do the same thing. How long has this movement been going
5: on? Yeah, I think uh, Arizona State was a catalyst for for the movement. We've um, over over beers and dr- long drives to uh, some of these uh, schools. We talked uh, many times about um, uh, the opportunity for Division One program here here at the U. And and um, I think Arizona State uh really triggered triggered a uh, a clock at least internally in our minds here that um that hockey really is going to start moving moving to the west. Um there's a need for teams out here and um uh with the Big 10 starting to form their own conference, there's 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 definitely a need for a west uh western teams to join a conference. Um the uh the um real start for us was uh was was seeing if there is a fan base and and seeing how many people would really want to see the uh the university have a hockey team uh believe between us i think the both a men's and women's team uh could be just a sleeping giant from a program perspective and, and I kind of look at it on three fronts uh first of all we um um we 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 have the financials uh that that i think could really make it work we have a we have a stadium in key Arena that has ice. Uh, it would be great to see add add ice, but but we have a stadium that that would really minimize the investment needed. And if we follow some of the programs like Penn State, they've been able to turn um, turn a profit almost immediately uh, for the for the school. Uh, the second is, do we have the recruits up here? And and besides some of the some of the NHL players and and um, um, some of the Division One, Division Three players that have left here, uh, we also. Have the entire Western Canadian and probably Northern California border to uh, mm-hmm. to, to to really um, uh, cool highlight job. recruiting, and then uh, you know finally, uh, like I said, is is we wanted to start a grassroots movement to see if the fan base would get behind a team. I think uh, I think everyone's real hopeful for an NHL team, and uh, coming from an NHL city, I, I am as well. Uh, but I also came from a college town. I came from Wisconsin, where um, where we packed 18,000 in for for to watch the Wisconsin Badgers on a regular basis. And with uh, less games, only about 20 home games a year, and and an average ticket price in in the uh, 20 and 30 dollars, um, it, it's very very competitive hockey. And what we've seen so far from from not just those that have joined our Facebook page, but but those that have commented and and even emailed us. Is there seems to be a real uh, a real grassroots support for for bringing a Division One program here to to Washington? Right. So you mentioned um, you mentioned the arena. You guys are are currently
2: currently playing in what's called Olympia View Arena in Mount Lake Terrace, correct? Olympic View, yes, up up there in Mountlake okay. Terrace. Okay. And um, wh- to go Division One, what kind of arena capacity would uh would you need you mentioned that you, you might actually have a solution at Heck Ed. Is that did I hear you correctly?
5: Well no, I, I think the first solution would be Key Arena. They they do have ice. Would there. be Key um, Arena. Um would be Key Arena would be our, our proposed solution. I'd love to see Heck Ed, um or whatever they're gonna do with Heck Ed put ice in there. Um but I think that's probably a longer term discussion. uh Key Arena has ice today and um and is close close by it I think could um really be a nice uh um could be a nice place for, for Seattle fans to go to.
2: Right. Uh, so Abby, as the current manager, um, I was going to sure. ask you, um, what what level of support um do you guys have for the current program? So uh at this arena in Mount Lake Terrace, how many people do you usually come have coming out to the games? Sure. I would estimate our average attendance probably somewhere around four hundred people, five hundred people but for a game like against Oregon or maybe a game we had against UCLA a couple years ago where we were able to convince Austin Sperry and Jenkins to come drop the first
0: puck, I think that we we reached over 1,000 people on those games.
2: Okay. And what's the capacity in that arena? You know, uh, I'm actually not entirely sure. I would say around 1,200 probably. So that, that UCLA
5: game with Austin Sperry and Jenkins, there wasn't really a, a a spare piece of bench for anyone to – to pick
2: up on, it was pretty full. Okay, okay, um, and to – I guess any of you can answer this question. Um, for the arena that, I, I guess, for a Division One hockey team, um, what what kind of average attendance would you be shooting for, or if you if you move up to that level?
5: Yeah, I I can take this one. I think, um, I mean. <laughs> I, I think a base attendance of between 3500 and 6000 would be um would be where we'd want to try and get to and and once we announce the team we we try and start building the attendance toward those numbers. Uh those are really anchored on what makes a team profitable um uh which which really helps uh with the school. Now if we look at attendance on on a lot of the East Coast schools they they range anywhere from 1000 to um 1000 some of the smaller schools up to 15 even 20,000 at some of the bigger schools in the midwest up in Maine. So, I think um I, I think that would be beyond our wildest dreams, but but 3 to 5,000 would be maybe 3500 to 6,000 would be where we'd have to, be to to make a compelling uh business case.
2: Okay. Um so coach I want to ask you this question. Um in in the Seattle area it's uh we get really good support for the Seattle Thunderbirds we get really good support for the Everett Silvertips um so with the with the i guess you guys are division 2 um how would you compare the quality of hockey with um the level you're currently playing at versus say the level of hockey that you would find and i ask this as a hockey novice okay but how would you compare <laughs> the hockey that you guys play versus the hockey that people would see with the Seattle Thunderbirds or the Everett Silvertips.
6: Uh well what they would see now is is nothing compared to what the, the Thunderbirds and the Silvertips play. They play at a much higher level. Um however, if you do get a D1 program in here, the level of play between the D1 program and the Thunderbirds and the Silvertips would be very comparable. It'd be would basically be right on par.
2: Okay, so it'd be about about equal. So, would the, for the players that go through a Division 1 program, would their would their path to the NHL be equivalent? Yes. Okay. That's great. Now, um I know that my co-host Otto had some questions for you guys. Otto, do you have any questions?
4: Yeah, you know, I just um one of the questions, I know um uh, this was the final year for a player uh Ryan Minkoff um and he seems like he's you know he he's done really well the last four or five years. i was just wondering what what his future looks like. Is there is there a path for him
5: to perhaps
4: uh, play hockey professionally either in the NHL or overseas?
5: You know I think um, Ryan's what I would call a a potential wild card for a team. Um, I I haven't seen a kid with a knack for the net like that in a long time. Um, he he his presence on the ice, his his stick handling skills. Are there? I think um, he's a player that um, that I think could have really benefited from a Division One program um, and, and and some of the ice time and coaching and, and talent that goes with that. I think um, I think a professional career is going to be um, is it, definitely going to be a challenge for him. But I think I've seen players do it in the past. He's going to have to work himself up through uh, through some of the minor league systems or or even maybe go find an opportunity in Europe. I think the bigger ice in Europe might be a good starting point for him. Um, right and and it might be a great place for him to go get some confidence um i've seen i've seen players make it from this level before it's uh i i i'm glad he got a good education as well <laughs> and uh but i think uh he definitely has the skill level to at least uh try out the minors and see what it looks like that's
4: great and just just a couple more questions um of course. does does you hockey do you guys have any involvement with with either you know, with the youth leagues like the Snow King or or the the junior hockey leagues. Do you guys have any contact or work with them in any kind of fashion?
5: We um we, we know all of the leagues and, and, and talk to many of their um uh their presidents and, and associations. It's um it's uh it's tough for us to get too involved on a day to day basis as we want to kind of let them run their programs. Um but they've definitely been very supportive of of the team. Uh all of the associations have really shown shown a lot of support, both through asking questions, wanting uh wanting to see how they can help and, and support it as well as um many come out and watch some of the games on on Friday and Saturday nights as well. We see a lot of the, a lot of the kids now in their in their jerseys um up supporting the team. That uh, that's great. And
4: just um one final question and it's open to anybody. Um is there anything that the fans, hockey fans, you know, people who listen to the podcast, people in the hockey community, is there anything we can do to kinda of help support UW, try to get to D one to the next level?
5: Yeah, right now I think it's um it's getting um a, a, a following on our Facebook page and, and um and, and Abby can um uh give give everyone the exact Facebook uh uh location. But we're really just trying to show the, the support so that when we, we go and talk to the school, we can use that as one of our data points. Um, um, so showing that support right now, there, there'll be more asks as, um, as we start to formalize a little bit more of the, of the direction. Um, but that's really the, the biggest thing right now is get on that page, follow us, comment, and, um, and stay tuned. And we'll, we'll keep reaching out through those channels uh, to anyone that does want to help beyond, that, beyond just uh, that, that capacity.
2: Okay. Uh so I was going to ask you guys um what needs to happen now I mean you, so the fans need to uh interface with your Facebook page but what are the next steps in the process and what kind of chances do you guys give this project Yeah it's uh
5: it's it's a great question and uh I, I I think um, I think we have the support um, uh, from the fans. I think we have the support in Olympia. The next step is is to really go and talk to the school. And and in all fairness, uh, it's been brought up a few times, um, very uh, very loosely. Um, and and there's there's been some interest um, from some of the uh, assistant ads, at least to look into it. I think it's time to to make those conversations a little more serious and a little more permanent. Um, if I was going to follow what Arizona State had to do uh, after getting the interest it was uh it was really helping to uh, to raise the money uh, come up with the budget, and come up with the plan i think uh from our perspective here at the u if if we can solve a stadium without having to build one it, it would uh it would definitely lighten the load so if I was going to prioritize beyond uh, just the fan base, it would be figure the stadium solution out um, and get commitments from from one of the rinks that could carry the team um, at the same time getting the school support to um, to start hosting a team and figure out a date, and make sure that the um, both the men's and women's scholarships fit within their plan um, as well as the budget to uh, to build out. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be looking at some point for donors uh, to help us uh, build that out. Uh, but we uh, we also financed a entire football stadium through private donations, so I'm I'm confident that the the alums will see the uh, the same vision we see and help us help us get this team to be a reality. I would, uh, if you if you if you put me in Vegas right now, I I'd, I'd say it's it's probably still a coin flip today as to whether we'll get a team or not. I do believe that the uh, the Pac-12 is going to start forming a conference. I think Utah's got the stadium and in the interest. Um, I I'm pretty sure that both teams down in L.A. are are looking at a stadium and and trying to build interest. I think Arizona's going to follow Arizona State, so. My perspective is is Oregon's not going to be far behind, and I hope here here with the Huskies we can uh, we can lead Oregon in this uh, in this sport as opposed to follow them and um, and, and and get some interest and, and get this started ahead of time. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, follow up question on the arena: um, Key Arena seems to be your favorite solution. Would you guys be open to say uh, being a third tenant in an NHL arena, or would that even be a wise thing to do?
5: I think it would be fantastic if there was um an NHL arena to be a third tenant. I've uh, I've seen that model um I've seen that model work um in um in Michigan. I've seen the model work um uh, Wisconsin finally built their own arena, but um I I've, see, I've seen the model work. I think being a third tenant would be great and if it helps the case uh for getting an arena built here in in, in Seattle then, you know, that's something we'd be all for. Okay. Um, Abby, what is the name of the Facebook page? Sure,
2: it's NCAA D1 Men's and Women's Hockey at Washington. So just a, a like shows your support in the idea of bringing a D1 program to the
0: University of Washington.
2: Okay. And for for those listening, I'm also going to post a link to that Facebook page on the article that accompanies this podcast. So. Uh, by all means, check that out, and if uh, if you're interested in helping, and uh, go ahead and like the page and interact with it, and uh, you'd really be helping out the grass move, the grassroots movement of hockey in the Pacific Northwest. Otto, do you have any other questions for our guests? No, I,
4: I, it was. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming on, and 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 let's uh, let's get UW and let's get the dogs to D one.
5: Let's get the dogs to D one. I love it. Yep. Thanks so much for having us tonight. Alright. Yeah, thank I you. want to thank David Kell and
2: Chris Stevenson and Abby uh for hopping on with us and maybe we'll do this again soon. Sounds okay. good.
5: Thank you. Take care.
2: Okay, thanks guys. Thank you. Wow, there's a lot to process in that is there not auto? Oh my, oh, my gosh.
4: But you know what? A lot to process, but a lot of good information too. I mean, it
2: took a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot of good information. Yeah, it, you know, it's just, i before you brought this subject up with me a couple of weeks ago, I honestly never, it never even occurred to me that UW even had a hockey team. So, um, you know, once again, being a novice hockey fan, that, that's not all that surprising, but um, there, there's so much opportunity to build the grassroots in the Pacific Northwest, and it seems like this is right. one of them. Um, I would be curious to see how it shakes out. Um, uh, there, there would be a natural competition for the hockey dollar. Uh, yep. So we'd we have different, four, four big entities to compete with the hockey dollars. There would, there would be an NHL yeah. franchise, hopefully. There would be right. the Thunderbirds and the Silvertips. And then, and this is what I was really interested to find out, the Division One Huskies would be comparable in quality to those two uh, franchises. So I'd be curious to see how that competition would shake out. What are your thoughts yeah, on it, that?
0: You,
4: yeah, you know, the, you, it's it's you know, junior hockey that level is <coughs> definitely comparable to to NCA hockey. I mean, you look at the top three draft choices, draft picks for the uh, 2015 lottery. The first the first player, Connor McDavid, he's from he's from junior league, but the next two, they're from NCAA hockey: uh, uh, Noah Hannifin and uh, Jack Jack Eichel. Um and so so the, the talent level is definitely comparable the only the the biggest difference is the, the seasons are much shorter um in NCAA you know it's i think it's about 25 to 30 games for in and NCAA um hockey where for junior hockey you know they're playing you know they're playing 50 60 70 games so um mm-hmm. uh, the the, the seasons are just much shorter in the NCAA but one of the great things that David said in regards to uh, what are the odds or what are the chances of, of UW hockey going D1? He said, he, he said, you know, Utah has the building. They look like they're getting ready to go, you know, two Southern Cal, California schools, they look like they're ready to go. Arizona's going to follow Arizona, you know, Oregon, you know, they're not going to let all these other teams jump in. They're going to go in and, you know, Oregon's going in, you know, we're going to have, you know, we're going to go in too. So, the Pac-12, they want this to happen. They 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 really want this to happen because that Pac-12 network, you need you need live events and you you need content for that network to be able to, you know, sell 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 it out to Direct TV or the different uh, broadcast networks. You need have have more content. So I think we're gonna have. I agree with David. I think we're gonna have a Pac-12 ice hockey conference and. I hope UW is one of them. and so. But I'm really excited to be a part of this journey w- with UW Ice Hockey. Uh, I hope we can do whatever we can, either through social media or on podcasts or at Songs Rising or, you know, whatever the next hockey, SB Nation, Seattle Hockey, NHL blog is. Um, because like you said, and like uh, Craig Customs said, you know, we need to have a kind of ground-level youth uh, grassroots support. And, Having UW go to Division One is is going to be a huge part of
2: that. Yeah. So how long do you think this might take? And he said it was a fifty fifty proposition whether it would happen. Uh, but what what do you think? I, I mean, you know, could could it be I after think, the NHL team might arrive or uh, before?
4: I, yeah, I think you know what well, I think. I think the better the better bet is is once we get NHL Seattle. I think our, our our awareness of hockey at all levels will increase. And I think once that happens, I I think we'll have, we'll get the support. I know the budget, I know the money is tight at UW, so um, you know, unless we have uh, Don Mullett or you know, who, who funded like thirty five million dollars to kick off Arizona State program, unless we have that kind of uh donor, um, I think it might it might take a while. But, you know, we're closer today than we were, you know, five years ago. So, to me, that's progress.
2: That's good. So, we're going to spend a lot more time in the coming weeks talking about grassroots because, uh, we you know, I think you and I both agree that that's a really important uh, piece of the NHL coming. And, you know, maybe it's going to be, maybe as, uh, as Michael Gray was saying, it's going to be more a matter of the NHL building the grassroots rather than the grassroots building the NHL. Uh, yeah, but we'll see what yeah. happens it, but either way it's going to have to be built up and, and we'll just see what happens um, yeah, it's, so it's that brings us fun to ride. the end yeah so thanks Otto and I'll, I'll talk to you after after we disconnect here and so that brings us to the end of the fourth episode of the Seattle Sin Bin uh, I want to thank our guests um, um, former ESPN host Michael Gray for joining us uh, David Kells for joining us, uh Chris Stevenson for, for joining us, um, and Abby—I think it's Kozira or Kozira. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, Abby. But I want to thank uh, all three of our guests from the University of Washington for coming on the show, and I want to thank Michael Gray for coming on the show. And tonight, I want to offer a special thank you to three people. Um I want to thank Steve Stearns. Uh, I want to thank David Anthony Lewis, and I want to thank Tiffany Awika. Steve Stearns is on staff at SonicsRising.com, and the the sound bites that we added to the show tonight, the the new intro, uh, the transitions, uh, the NPR segments, and the outro that I'm about to play for you, uh, those were all produced and directed by Steve Stearns. Uh, he he scripted them. He he came up with sounds to use and everything else, and he he blended everything together. And David Anthony Lewis and Tiffany Awika provide the voice talents, and they're very talented. Uh, And I just want to thank all three of you for uh, doing this at no charge to the Simbin. They're great, and I'm hoping that maybe we can add more in the coming weeks, especially as the NHL playoffs uh, approach. And aside from that, I want to thank all of you for joining this fourth episode of the Seattle Simbin, and we will see you next time.
0: we mm-hmm.